That said, we're never too old to be students of our own behaviors, Jean-Luc. I have had enough of your stupid patronizing. And I've had enough of your obstinance, your stubbornness, your insistence on changing in all ways but the one that matters. This is not a lesson. It's a penance. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton, bitch-slapping Mon Capitan until he bleeds from the nose. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about the latest episode of Picard, Penance, and the latest episode of Discovery, Species 10C. But we're going to start with Picard, right, Tyler? I think we have to. Look, we, we have our first, you know, real scenes with Q. I was I was actually, like, I, I like when Star Trek surprises me. I never expected to see Q so menacing before. Like, we've seen, you know, kind of hints of it, uh, especially with Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, this is the scariest Q has ever been to me, and even Picard has to remark on that. And, and I mentioned it, you know, uh, uh, he got a big bloody nose from Q. Uh, he points out, you know, th there's something wrong with Q. And I think that actually introduces something very, very interesting to whatever the overall storyline is going to be and whatever Q's motivations are. I'm usually not a fan of when kind of the, the antagonist motivations are, are obscured. And we, I mean, Picard, the, the series really suffered from that in the first season. And because we never knew anything about the admonition until like the second last episode. But uh, overall, um, look, I, I have different feelings on my first viewing of Penance uh, versus my second viewing. But what's your overall takeaway on episode two, season two of Star Trek Picard? Penance was really interesting in that it's an episode that I think is actually pretty effective. It sets up the threat that these people are basically fighting against, probably for at least the next handful of episodes to prevent this future. Um, it is more plot-based than character-based. There's not a heck of a lot of character going on here. But um, it's also like an episode that like establishes its dark, violent tone, but in a way where I'm like, this isn't uh, like an experience I want to relive. Um, so it did a decent job setting up a threat. But as an hour of television that I enjoyed watching, it's sort of hit or miss, but I don't know that that really says as much about the quality versus just the overall vibe of the episode. Well, it also didn't have that miserable atmosphere that you'd get every time the Discovery crew jumps into the Mirror Universe, where that was just, like, just misery all abounds there. Um, I thought that this was actually kind of fun, you know, to, to kind of jump in with these characters figuring out what was going on, you know, and uh, whether it's, um, I don't know, apparently Picard is employing evil stepsisters to wash his floors, you know, from Romulus or something. <laughs> Do you really need people scrubbing your floors if it's the 24th century camp? Haven't they figured out like robot mops by that point? I mean, we've got Roombas now. There has to be like the uh, 24th century version of the Roomba. <laughs> no, the Rombuba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was a stretch i, I know but uh, look in seven of nine waking up to find out she's president of the federation th those were the two highlights for me you know seven was a real highlight uh, for me in this episode um when i watched it a second 
go, it, it wasn't as fun for me. And and you pointed out there, I, I just realized, oh, this is way more plot-based than, say, character-based or story-based. And, and let me point this out. You know, episode one, you know, I, I would say that the plot is Picard and company being drawn to the Borg anomaly. That's the plot. You know, that's how the characters all end up there. But the story of episode one was about how these folks are grappling with their second chances that they have since season one. And some are grappling with it better than others. So that's the difference between, like, plot versus story. Cam, I totally follow the plot of this, but I don't know if there's a real strong story to episode two. I, I think the writers would make the argument like, oh, you have to take it all in holistically as, you know, the, the season two as a whole versus judging this one episode. But I that, that frustrates me because the best TV, you can take an hour of television and you already have the theme set out within, you know, that one episode. You don't need to have to, to see the entire season to figure out what the story is or what the themes are but I, I, did i miss something is there like kind of a, a very obvious theme that's maybe you picked up on that i did not i mean a lot of it is just an episode built around escaping this timeline because you get the sense even though there's a bit of a cliffhanger or whatever you know continuation on into the next episode that the episode is built around just escaping you know earth during this confederation period um but in terms of like overall theme um, really just like a worst case scenario for Earth, I guess. But uh, no, there's not a lot here. I really think this episode was here to establish what the characters are working against for at least the next handful of episodes. Yeah, and I think that's just the problem with these serialized... Okay, the way that um, the Kurtzman era has been handling serialized live action shows and that they keep saying like, oh, you can't really understand it you you have to take it all as a whole. And I'm like, well, that's not really great when you're watching it week to week like we are. And and what I'm saying, though, is you're, if you are a writer-producer working within the parameters of television, you have to treat it as such. And, and that's why I keep complaining about uh, all these showrunners saying, like, we're making a 10-hour movie. I'm like, no, you're not. You're making a television series. So, look, I, I was high on the premiere. I, I was totally uh, into it. It was a bit of a, a come down uh, for episode two, but I, I would say for me, um, easily a highlight was watching you know Delancey and Patrick Stewart go at it again, and it's not just like Hugh is menacing or or, or this madman. It, it's you know Picard is done with this. Like he just, I, I've never seen Picard like angrier Q just for pulling him in yet again. I think he had like this 30-year break from him, and um, no, it's not quite the case. And uh, Q's not gone forever at this point. And I think it's really interesting to see what this mentally compromised Q could be because when he kicked it off, I was like, oh, they're really taking this back to Encounter at Farpoint, which I tend to like Q when he veers a little more dangerous, whether it is, you know, all good things as well, or even tapestry. That's the Q I tend to find the more interesting. But when he was like slapping Picard, I was like, wait a second, this is a far darker Q than I'd ever seen. And... You and I have been on shaky ground with Picard just going off of season one of its way of just kind of dipping into kind of violence and darkness, often yeah. what feels like just for the sake of being edgy. And so I was like, uh-oh, oh, this makes me nervous. But I think it makes sense if they're going to tie it into this overall story of, you know, Q going through a difficult period in his life, because that's something we've seen with Picard and a lot of the other characters. So why shouldn't it be Q? If you're going to bring him in, you don't want him to be static. 
Exactly. And I totally appreciate that. And I think Delancey has said in interviews, like he, he he's glad or, or he came back because he wouldn't just be playing kind of the same static character. That initially made me a little bit worried. And then I'm like, no, you know what, if he's a more dangerous Q, that's actually interesting. And um, jumping off of that point, you brought up kind of the, the violence factor there. Um, watching the uh, Starfleet Deltas turned into ninja stars, I was like, okay, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of, funny it's it's the kind of violence that i can endure and then you see elnor rip one out of the guy's chest and use it to slit his throat i'm like okay that's that's taking it too far i don't need to see that point but it's like elnor loves murder way more than anyone else in this entire series i i, I have to believe at this point that is the classic picard um have your cake and eat it too of establish a tone that violence is bad we don't want to live in this violent world but let's really showcase a scene of someone's throat getting slit and the blood pouring out. Well, it's fetishizing violence. You know, that that's, I kind of think, what the issues that you and I have. And like you said, it's have your cake and eat it too. But um, look, I, there's lots of cool stuff to dive into. Like, we, we got a Goldicott shout out. We got to see uh-huh. Goldicott's skull uh, with the, uh, <laughs> you know. But unfortunately, we also got to see General Martok's skull. And uh, Cam, do you think it was Rom or do you think it was Moogie who, um, who was the proprietor of that um, Ferengi skull that we saw? I've seen a lot of people arguing at Zek, but uh, that doesn't really line up, I don't think. It would probably be Rom, right? I guess, but I would, I, I think it's way funnier if it was Mookie, though. Not, oh, not funnier, yeah, but like it's kind of like what if, uh, you know, Frankenar already had kind of the, this suffragette movement and she's the one in power, you know? Like, that's kind of more the, uh, the, the fan fiction up in my head that I could uh, get by. I don't know. It also really elevates, like, what a monster this Picard is, that extra degree. <laughs> So do you think he, like, when he uh, potentially killed Moogie, like, was he, I don't know, calling her Moogie, like, at that moment? Like, that's what I, that's what I want to know. Yes, but with a French accent from Star the City Rag. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. Um, okay. You know, the other thing that I, I'm, I'm very interested about um, is Girardi in the last two episodes. And, like, we like Alison Pill as an actress, but we thought that it was just a terrible like role that she had in season one like the actress did what she could with it i think she has to be so far two episodes in the most improved character it's just like they're diving into her neurotic tendencies and i I don't know i'm enjoying it we'll see where the character goes but so far for me adrati is working 10 times better than she was in the first season yeah like that moment where she has to fabricate the lie as to what is going on to um you know seven's um husband was really fun and a great character moment of someone who is seemingly not going to be able to pull this off giving it a pretty good try um so that is one of the few character-based moments in this episode and i know you and i had had similar conversations about Gerardi as we had about stamets with discovery where we were questioning what is this like mushroom scientist going to do in future seasons? And I think with Gerardi, we were going, well, I guess she's just going to be doing basically maintenance on Picard and Soji. But like, is there a <laughs> Cleaning larger the plot earwax function? out of him? Like, <laughs> s- synthetic body. Like, is there a larger plot function for this character? That was the real question yeah. mark. But if you can at least work her way into the team here and make her seem valuable and find new avenues to use her, then that's great. Yeah, um, the thing I'm wondering, though, is well, what is up with Soji this season? Like, she, um, I, I can't imagine her really having a role that's involved with the story, and I'm glad that the writers aren't wedging her in there. 
uh, that that's great because if you kind of think about it, like would she actually be like a synth that would exist in this alt reality? Uh, I, I would find that hard to believe just based on you know uh, everything we know about how she as a character was literally like built, constructed. So I'm glad that they're not forcing this issue. We might find out other stuff as we go back and forth through time why that couldn't happen. But again, um, you know my theory last week about how maybe Picard is in a living flesh body uh, in this alt-reality, but then Q pointed out that Ducat was uh, the one responsible for making Picard jump into this uh, synth body that he has now. Yeah, um, they are going to hold on to that synth body, but I feel like what they're going to do is frequently um, acknowledge it without ever diving into the bigger implications of it. Yeah, I know. And that, it, it irks me, but I guess I, I I guess I just have to go with it rather than let it bug me every single episode moving forward. Maybe it's just the 24th century thing to do. People just swap into synthetic bodies. That's just how it goes. Okay, yeah. Like, uh, wait, what was that movie with, like, Vincent Carthizer? Uh, and wasn't, like, Justin Timberlake in it where, like, they're all trying to get, like, young... They're old people getting young bodies or something? In time. In time, okay. <laughs> Did you ever see that? I saw it in theaters. <laughs> I never saw it. Was it any good, Cam? It looked terrible. I went to see it because I was a big fan of Andrew Nichols' Gattaca. And that was him coming back and doing a new sci-fi film. And it wasn't very good. It's not like horrendous by any stretch of the imagination, but it did not replicate the experience of Gattaca. Okay, fair enough. That, that, that's what they wrote on the key art of the, um, the, the <laughs> DVD uh, that they uh, put out there, though. Yeah, it does not replicate Gattaca. That that's pretty much sums it up. I think that movie made like no money and has been forgotten to the sands of time. Um, so this is probably the first mention of In Time in... At least 10 years. <laughs> okay. Well, I, and it has to do with an episode in which they're seeking to do time travel here. So um, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, look, look, another character. Uh, look, Seven and Nine is president of this confederation of Earth. Um, that, that, that's uh, She's just as shocked by it as anyone else. Um, her husband, the magistrate. Um, Cam, I'm, I'm going to read to you the list of all the um, little uh, names that he called her throughout the course of this episode. Um, uh, my dear, my love. Dear, dear, she is also my wife. Um, he is obsessed <laughs> with just like declaring her to be like uh his like love interest. It's just like okay, yeah, we get it. Like, what what is this guy's obsession with like constantly calling her like dear love wife? Like it, it was nonstop. It's like a total of like one, two, three, four, five times uh, by my count. And the guy had I'd say what like six minutes of screen time. He seemed like a very insecure character, and um. I wonder if it's a case of, you know, he married Annika and he's like, I, I can't believe I'm in the situation. <laughs> and so he needs yeah, to no constantly kidding. like, he needs to constantly <laughs> give himself that confirmation of you're my wife. You're my wife, right? You're my wife. Right? Please, please don't leave me. <laughs> um, yeah, the actor was actually played by uh, uh, Isa Briones's father, which was interesting. So I don't know how uh, Jerry Ryan as an actress uh, kind of perceives that in which uh, her co-star's dad is playing her husband. Does that make Jerry Ryan feel old? Um, I don't know, <laughs> but um, I don't know. That's that just kind weird. of interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. Th that um, relationship had maybe the only real clunker moment of the episode for me. I mean, uh, the the violence with Elnor stuff was kind of eye rolling, but like the character of the husband is played as like real dumb. You have to be really, really dumb because there are scenes where like she's walking down the hallway with him saying like, 
so tell me about this eradication day. <laughs> and that is the line where that moment I underlined in my notes because I'm like, that is bad screenwriting. Like, there's got to be a way around this. Well, everything was like, well, just think about the first episode where everybody had to kind of announce, you know, into the ether what they've been doing the last uh, year and a half to two years. And just like, okay, it's a problem with like, as writers, you're supposed to show, not tell. And we're, you're doing these kind of exposition dumps, you know, like uh, there are ways around it. And I know it's easier to just do this, but it's very, very clunky. I mean, all you have to have is a scene of uh, Annika, you know, in her office pulling up a video on like the history of eradication day and you could even have like a famous star trek icon being <laughs> executed in the video or something that would yeah. kind of sell it who is it moogie moogie <laughs> uh, yeah uh so uh, look the other thing i'm curious about though is just kind of the, the uh of whether or not cam uh you would invest in a uh, picard combat ninja star uh as part of your merch collection moving forward Probably not. Although that's also with the caveat that I'm not really into buying a lot of new Trek merch. I haven't bought that much Discovery stuff. I've got a Discovery t-shirt. But beyond that, not a heck of a lot. Okay. Okay. Um, That Romulan terrorist uh, that uh, was hanging out with Elnor, um, was he actress taught at the school of overacting by any chance? I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just asking. <laughs> I don't know. I saw. I sensed great subtlety in that performance. <laughs> really, really. Although I, I, Harvey the valet is my new favorite character, or my favorite new character so far of uh, Picard season one. Yeah. Um. I guess we're just gonna leave all this behind, right, in the next episode. So that's kind of a bummer for Harvey because I think you could probably do more with that character. Yeah. Um. Look. Uh, speaking of the next episode, what they're building up to is kind of a time travel sequence using, I guess, that Kirk jerk uh you know with him going around the uh, sun that slingshot maneuver cam if they don't do that rotoscope technique that we saw in the voyage home where they're all kind of <laughs> in the cgi white sort of look um i will be gravely disappointed i don't even think that was cg that was like that was like animation and like probably models or something like that creating those cloud heads of the characters but i am totally down for that i would love to see a giant cloud elnor head <laughs> Yeah, I think it was like rotoscoped. Uh, that that's what I think they. Is that what it was? Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, there. Uh, but it makes me think. Like I thought that this episode would conclude with them successfully going back in time. Instead, it it, con- it concluded with the magistrate saying, uh, "You're going to be, the, you know, known as Picard, the one who saves the Borg." And I'm just like, and then he holds a gun. I'm just like, well. They're clearly going to get out of this, and they're clearly going to go back in time to find this Watcher in L.A. So, I like, that, that to me, like, this episode didn't actually have a real ending. And that, to me, no. kind of reemphasizes why this one was lacking in story and lacking in theme, despite being very heavy in plot. And you also have, you know, Elnor being shot and, like, moaning on the ground. And it's like, we're supposed to, I think, feel like there's some peril towards his life. But it's like... Uh, that's that's not the case. We know, we know. I would have preferred if they just ended the episode with them doing the slingshot and leave what they're going into a mystery. Like, have the slingshot around, credits. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> actually, no. Um, right before the credits, uh, you just see Elnor's dead body there. You know, that that's how they <laughs> d- dispatch with that character permanently. He's jettisoned from the ship <laughs> right yeah. before. They're like, we need to lose some weight off this ship. <laughs> or else we can't make it through time. My nightmare is that episode three is them going back to 
down to earth to like go on trial or something like please god like, get us out of here <laughs> well speaking of trial it, it, the um eradication day sequence uh just even the color schemes and the way that the stage was set it did remind me very much of the uh, tribunal that uh we were introduced to in encounter at farpoint from q as well as the one in all good things and it kind of it also made me think a little bit about lore's hangout in descent you know i don't know if both of those were on purpose, but I don't know. It's just interesting. Like at least it, it kind of triggered those kind of Star Trek memories for me personally. It also, I definitely thought of the tribunal with Q. I also thought a little bit of the mirror universe. Was it ceremony or something that was at the start of the Giorgio two parter in season right. three discovery? Yeah. Um, I can't remember the exact specifics of what that event was, but just visually it did remind me of that. I had to wonder watching penance, how I would feel about this episode if I hadn't seen six episodes of Discovery Mirror Universe stuff. And this isn't the Mirror Universe, but it is that grim alternate future. And I wonder if it would have felt more novel and exciting if I hadn't had those six previous hours. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but at least this one, it didn't seem just as miserable as the Mirror no. Universe is. So I can kind of give it that. And I guess I like the idea better that instead of this being an alternate reality which i thought it was going to be um or i should say instead of this being a parallel reality which i thought it was going to be it, it turned out to be an altered reality in which you know somebody went back in time i guess it's q altered time somehow and so it is kind of the prime timeline simply altered but can't i don't know is that just me being the nerd is it really just a distinction without a difference they were definitely teasing a mirror universe thing because you had uh, them quoting Alice in Wonderland once again with the God. through a mirror darkly. Yeah. Um, you also had someone refer to this being a potential mirror uh, parallel universe or something. And I was looking very closely at the badges and there was one that looked kind of mirror universe-ish. Uh, I was like, I think this might be the case, but I did appreciate there was a fake out. Is it kind of the same thing? Yes and no. Like, I thought the way the world was built here felt different than the Mirror yeah. Universe. It was definitely that kind of, you know, darkness to it. But it didn't feel quite as chaotic and crazy as the Mirror Universe usually is. Uh, thankfully, we didn't have to watch them eat Kelpians uh, in this episode, which I appreciate. No, no. Like, it felt like a more structured world than Mirror Universe tends to be almost like sometimes like pirate stories <laughs> it feels like <laughs> like space pirate stories um whereas this felt like very organized it felt like it could be a real world that's just taken a darker turn yeah um uh, speaking of a darker turn it wasn't just q but it was a board queen that uh, we see coming off of uh, you know the previous episode she's wearing that weird mask and this uh, as seven describes her uh it's a more typical model which I, uh, it raises some questions about what's going on. I'm curious about, about what your thoughts... Okay, uh, for me, if they're going back in time, I want her in a backpack with Elnor carrying her around in Los Angeles uh, in, in 2024, very much like how Chewie car carried uh, C-3PO around in Star Wars. And a lot of, like, I can't see where I'm going, I can't see where I'm going kind of dialogue from the Borg Queen. That exactly, would be pretty amazing. Exactly, yeah. Um, look, I, my, my, my personal thoughts, like, it, it feels like a different Borg Queen compared with the Alice Krieger slash Susanna Thompson versions. I, I, I can go with it. Um, it's, it seems as if maybe the redesign, I, I, I don't know if it was um, just because they've got 
that much more to do because it's an altered reality or if it's supposed to signify that these are all different kind of models of the Borg Queen. I, I could buy either one, but it's just the performance of um, Annie... I'm, I'm going to mess up her last name, but I think it's Annie Wershing. Um, but she... It, it, it didn't seem as dangerously sensual as what we got from uh, Susanna Thompson or Alice Creek. I, it, it seemed like something a little different, but I'm intrigued with where they go. I, I, I can accept that you can't just have kind of the, the Borg Queen being the exact same, depending on, like, having the exact same actress. I, I, I totally understand that part. It felt... Um what's the word like it felt like very kind of like self-knowing like there was a lot of that kind of like sinister smile on her face like she's kind of playing cut off from the collective and confused but like you get the sense she has a far grander um, understanding of what the big plan is here than she's letting on like there's a very conspiratorial um element about her here do you think she's gonna go with them in uh, 2024 and somehow get an interplexing beacon going, much like they had in the deflesh- deflector dish in uh, Star Trek First Contact. We can get the, the board collective, the threat of them coming to 2024 Earth. I think she's going to do something major. Yeah. Like, I think there's going to be a threat posed by the Borg Queen. You don't carry her along and plug her into your ship and everything. It's kind of like making a deal with the devil. It's never going to turn out very well. And I would be shocked... If at least this version of the Borg Queen, I don't know what's going to happen with the Stargazer Borg Queen, but if the version they're traveling with now, um, I don't think you're bringing her along to make her their ally. Like, I don't think this Borg Queen is looking to uh, make peace with the Federation or make peace with Picard. I like the antagonist's menacing, and that's what we got with Q. And look, it, I, I can't imagine... You know, a, a scene where, like, we actually learn, you know, that uh, the Borg Queen, she likes to go on vacation just like average people do. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I don't think they want to make her a more humanized, quote, unquote, a, a more humanized character. I think they want to keep her dangerous. And it, it, look, she is incapacitated. She's uh, cut off from any sort of collective. Uh, she literally doesn't have legs to walk around. She's stuck in, like, this tube. I, I, that doesn't mean she's not dangerous, though. As you said, like she's plugged into La Serena. Um, who knows what happens on Earth? But I, I, I'm intrigued with wherever they want to take her. And my sense is she, she's going to be far more involved in season two than maybe I originally suspected. Yeah, when they announced season two, a lot of the conversation was about John Delancey and you know Whoopi Goldberg as their casting announcements kind of came further into the process. And I think we really looked at the season as being, you know, the the Q and Guinan guest starring season. And I'm wondering if it's going to be far more driven by the Borg Queen than either of those two. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, speaking of uh, legacy characters, did you notice there's a statue of one Adam Soong uh, outside of the exterior of uh, the uh, uh, Confederation headquarters? Uh, we've never met any sort of Adam Soong, but if you look at the statue... Uh, it was, of course, uh, modeled off of Brent Spiner. Uh, just makes me even further convinced that um, whatever Dr. Soong generation it is, uh, he only seeks out uh, potential partners that look identical to him. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, do you, do you think we'll ever meet Adam Soong? Well, I wonder, though, if... 
Look, I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think it's a spoiler. Like Brent Spiner says, yeah, he's totally down to return um, to Star Trek Picard. So does that mean that w- it might actually be in the 21st century in which we meet Adam Sung? Is he the one that's actually responsible for this alteration in time? Uh, he's kind of the inspiration for the uh, the Confederation that develops moving forward. Like I don't know. I, I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it only needs to be uh, one Alton Sung uh, who we met last season. Uh, as the only soon to appear in Star Trek Picard. Well, much of the conversation we've had about Star Trek Discovery Season 4 was about Species 10C, and we'll talk about them in a handful of moments. But, um, you know, there was the question of, like, is there anything they could deliver that would make you, you know, excited or happy or feel like it redeemed the season? And we both kind of said, well, not really, no. Um, But I think if you set this up and you go back to the, you know, 2024, and it's Brent Spiner playing a version of a Soong and maybe one that's a little different that feels kind of unique and quirky in some way. I think that would go a long way for making the reveal be satisfying because I think if they just show up and it's just some, I don't know, like new character or something. Yeah. It's like, okay, sure. Like, I guess if this character is interesting, it could work. But I think if it's Brent Spiner filling in those, you know, that slot, um, it, connects you a little bit more to whatever this character's mostly short-term journey will be with the course of this series. Yeah. Um, th- th- there were a couple laughs that I got out of this one, and, and for anybody, it was Elnor who delivered, where uh, Picard brings up Q, and then <laughs> Elnor's like, Q, I know him from your biography, which, uh, speaking to all the, <laughs> the, the Star Trek fans out there, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a good line. Um, Elnor... Could he be the uh, stealth MVP of this season at some point? I Look, I, I Cam, let's be honest. There's nowhere to go but up after what we got with him in season one, in which uh, character really wasn't uh, needed for the plot. Uh, he didn't really add much to the story. And Picard kept uh, abandoning him, uh, what, like three or four times throughout the course of one season. Yeah, and I think in a case like this, had they brought Soji here, you'd kind of have two young characters who could potentially be naive. And with Soji not here for whatever reason, um, then uh, I guess Elnor can maybe get a little more screen time. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, he can hide his ears easily enough in the 24th century. So, and um, he's really going to be the fish out of water uh, more so than anyone else when you do these time travel stories. But I don't know, it can't, okay, I, I guess it's all just speculation still. But I mean, how how many episodes in like, 2024 LA do you think we're gonna really have to sit there and watch is it going to be like most of the season or do you think there'll be going back and forth through these timelines or what have you like that's that's why I'm I'm still a little bit uneasy about what direction we're going in season two of Picard it seems to me like it would be a stretch to have like seven or eight episodes in 2024 that would be a little ridiculous. But I'm also like reminded of the fact that like early on when they were marketing this season, like the image they put out of the Starfleet Delta and like highways um, was very much grounded in, you know, like the I guess the 2024 period it seemed to be indicating. So I'm guessing they're going to spend a decent amount of time there. But anything more than about four episodes, I think, would surprise me. Yeah, I forgot about the marketing, and the marketing makes me think it might be more than four episodes, if that's kind of the direction. I'm just, like, for me, the, the fun of Star Trek is you, you're you trekking, 
And so far, we, we spent, you know, the last two episodes mainly on Earth, you know, save for an excursion out on the Stargazer. I'd rather be on the Stargazer right now, kind of um, doing diplomatic missions or something like that, rather than going into kind of contemporary Earth. And I don't know, I, I guess Rios will be up on the ship and, uh, you know, like monitoring folks, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I, 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 I'm uh, still cautiously optimistic about the season i just don't want everything to be grounded on earth for the majority of it i think we need to make peace with the fact that like both picard and discovery don't really have a whole lot of interest in the uh seeking out new civilizations you know brand of what star trek traditionally is uh strange new worlds will hopefully be that and we can probably talk about the uh teaser for that at the end of this episode but um i just think we're gonna have this very um specific one season story here with Picard for season two. And if it takes them to earth for an extended period, fine, but like, it'll all depend on execution. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to say I hate it because they're going to be on earth for a while um, at a you know fairly contemporary time period to our own, but uh, it, it's not what I would necessarily come up with if I was plotting out a season, but that doesn't mean they can't do it well. Yeah. Um, in all fairness, Discovery, they have sought out one new civilization over the course of four seasons. So uh, we'll get to that in about 10 minutes or so. Um, oh, yeah. I also like the shout out to General Sisko. You know, when the magistrate yeah. was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get General Sisko on the line. Um, now, Cam, I, maybe Ben is still with the Prophets. Maybe this General Sisko. He, here's my theory. It's General Jennifer Sisko in this particular reality. You think that's possible? Or, or is uh, maybe Joseph Sisko the, the next most likely candidate? My guess is the writers are alluding to the Sisko we know and love, yeah, Ben Sisko. But that doesn't mean we can't have fun with it and say, yeah, it's maybe Jennifer Sisko. Maybe Jake really <laughs> launched himself up the ranks quickly. I, I like the possibility that there's somebody out there named General Jake or General Jennifer. Like, those are both just alliterative and, and fun to say. But, like, let's be honest. I, I mean, it was meant to be Ben. Um, and, and, yeah, he, he's the uh, same rank as Picard, which I guess shows, you know, just how important he's supposed to be. you, you got to believe, like, uh, Janeway in this altered reality. It, it's General Janeway, too, right? I would think so, yeah. Now, what do you think of this show's working in a fan service like this? We mentioned the Galdicott skull, the Martok skull, and what have you. You've got that. You've also got Q saying up front about, you know, how yesterday's Enterprise <laughs> of you. I don't, I don't dislike these moments, but I also feel like we exist in a world now where the writers feel like they have to have these. Because yeah. that's not the sort of thing you would have in previous Star Trek shows. Well, do you even notice, like, uh, Seven in her Eradication Day speech, she dropped the word insurrection, oh, yeah. which, of course, uh, makes us think about the ninth uh, film, but it also kind of has a new meaning in these uh, post-January 6th era of the United States. I, I, but I know what you're saying. Okay, so the ones that didn't really draw that much attention to themselves was the, the Martok, Dukat, or the General Sisko stuff, because... They, they could have named anybody, you know, it's just kind of like if you're a fan and those go over your head, that's fine. Like all you see are kind of like um, alien skulls. And but for, um, you know, hardcore fans that may get it, it's like, oh, it's a nice little Easter egg. Um, the yesterday's Enterprise thing, it, that gets a little meta. And when it's a fan service that gets a little meta, that's where I kind of like cringe to a certain degree. This one still made me laugh. I, I'm totally down for it. But as long as like, honestly, if if. 
they end up on planet earth in year 2024 and they're watching like i don't know uh in a bar and somebody's playing babylon 5 and they're like huh who would ever watch people out in outer space la, la, la. and like it's played for laughs that's the sort of stuff where i'm just like eh, come on guys like like, like that, that, that's cheap laugh and it's not even funny I'm always fascinated to know with uh, these sorts of in-jokes. Patrick Stewart's an exec producer on this show. Um, and they're like, you're going to be referring to, you know, Martok <laughs> and Goldicott. Is he just like, okay, sure. I-, I don't know what any of this means. Do you think Patrick Stewart has ever met them or had conversations with J.G. Hertzler or Mark Alimo at any of the conventions? Or, or at least like uh, more than a uh, more than small talk? Or uh, is he aware of these two actors as he read this script? And, and could he place uh, uh, faces with the names there? I, oof, I would be shocked if he had, because I get the sense like if you are a Patrick Stewart or a Shatner or what have you, you're kind of jetting in and out of these cons pretty quickly. Um, so I don't think they're spending a lot of time socializing, whereas some of the other actors are there for the duration, often in the autograph room. Um, I, I would guess like they're kind of shuttling Patrick Stewart in and out pretty quickly. Now, I can't speak to the earlier days, but I would even imagine in the 90s um, that would have been probably the case as well. Yeah, Patrick Stewart is there for, I would say, a maximum of two and a half hours if he goes to a convention, whereas you've got actors like uh, Casey Biggs, who played Damar, or Vaughn Armstrong, who played uh, Admiral Force. They're literally playing, like, uh, dad rock, you know, in the evenings in front of, like, fans. And it's just like, they're the ones that are getting just as much absorbed into the the convention experience as uh, the fans are. I can't imagine, you know, Patrick Stewart picking up a bass guitar and, like, rocking out uh, w- with the fans in front of him at karaoke night or anything like that. And also, um, I would imagine he would be at a different hotel. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's not the Rio. <laughs> On the off-strip uh, Rio, uh, that's for sure. No, he's probably at like Caesar's Palace or something. The Link, I would say. That's uh, that's good. Or uh, maybe, maybe the Palms. I I think the Palms is a pretty nice one as well. Um, we're we're going to be going in um, August. Uh, it's going to be at Bally's this year. Um, the rooms are going to be smaller, but I think the convention area is like more up to date. But I don't know. It's going to be a different experience. We may be wishing for the Rio after we do this one while the Rio is under renovation. But I don't know. What are your thoughts about the potential about switching things up and doing it at Bally's uh, in, in the coming uh, months? Well, I'm interested to see just a different venue, see if it has a different vibe and feel and just what the other options are, because we've been doing the Rio forever and you kind of can't imagine a different setup. But I am curious if we walk away more positive or negative on Bally's. Like maybe we walk away being like, oh, the Rio was clearly the best place to have that. But we would never know that unless we shifted it up for a year. So I'm down for the experiment. Remember that San Francisco convention we went to where it was a hotel slash convention center and our rooms were above the convention center. And we, we kept getting rooms that smelled like ammonia. And yeah. like we asked to change rooms and they put us in another room that smelled like ammonia. It, it was... Like, I don't know what was going on there. I don't know if we can communicate this to listeners in an uh, aural medium, but like um, the smell was so bad, it woke me up 
throughout the night. Yeah. Like that to wake someone up with a smell is not easy. <laughs> and the fact that this room could do it, well, <laughs> quite an achievement. But like even after we switched rooms, like we're like, oh thank God. Like we, we didn't want to, but then we're like, ah, you know, this is weird. Like what what is going on? We could not figure it out. And uh nobody else was complaining about it at the convention. So when we finally switched rooms and it was it, it wasn't as strong in the second room, but it was still there. We, we were, I don't know. It, it was one of the most bizarre experiences I've ever, it's probably the most bizarre experience I've ever had at a hotel. Yeah. Not one of the better venues I've been to for a Star Trek con, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, if they were doing one there again, I would be like, hmm, maybe we should find a hotel next door. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe a couple bullet points before we jump over to Discovery, though. But um, I like how in this altered reality, uh, Picard can uh, breathe easy knowing that Shaban is dead uh, no matter where he is. And, uh, you know, sorry, Loras, you're dead too. But uh, uh, I also appreciate that uh, the, the new uniforms were introduced. I like the design. It, it could use some more color. You know, if, if you transferred kind of these, the design of it into kind of the prime universe and just added some colors in there i, I really like them i i think they've done much better with the uniform designs this season versus season one um i like you know uh picard be known or petitioning to be called the borg slayer um that's cool and then last thing I, i'll just point out is um uh, picard saying that uh Q won't undo something until he's certain we've passed some sort of test, which made me instantly think about uh, Sherwood Forest, Cam, and, and saving Maid Marion. That's that's the test that he had to pass there. Of course, of course. Um, I also like the title of the ship, the uh, CSS World Razor. I thought that <laughs> yes. was pretty badass. Yeah. Um, interesting little um, bit there with the grid alarms uh, around the planet, you know, that they... Q said, you know, this planet's on life support. I felt like they could have done something with, like, maybe an environmental message of that episode, but no, it didn't really seem like they wanted to uh, delve too much into that. Um, and also, just, you know that scene at the uh, the big ceremony at the end where everyone's chanting Picard? Yes. They took that audio from when Patrick Stewart was announcing the new Picard series in Vegas. <laughs> so you could probably hear our, hear our voices, right? We're like, yay, yay. <laughs> I just for 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 listeners though. I remember just leading up to a kind of rumors that uh, there could be a Picard uh, spinoff. Um, the entire time, Cam, you're like, eh, I don't want this. I don't want to see this. It's just it's just so like thirsty for like uh, some sort of like cheap fan service. As soon as Patrick Stewart walks out on stage and announces it for the first time to everyone, Cam, I've never seen you jump out of your seat and start hooting and hollering ever in my life. It was a real life moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then flash forward two years later, and we are complaining terribly about uh, season one of Picard, about like what, what, what a uh, disappointing experience that was. So I, I think you were right this entire time. Yeah, yeah. It would have been fun if we'd all started chanting Picard, actually, though. That would have been amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, and so do we want to jump over to uh, Discovery? Yeah, let's jump over to Species 10C. We finally got the reveal, Tyler. And what a reveal. Well, okay, I I feel torn here in, in that I like walking into any episode of Star Trek, no matter the series, and thinking that, you know, each episode, no matter what I thought about the one previous to it, it has the potential to kind of reset itself and reset expectations. The, the problem with this one is we've been building up so long, you know, like 12 episodes worth um, of, of Discovery to get to this point. And I think if this was episode three of like a four-episode arc, I, I would say that the very well done Discovery episode, you know, you know, uh, except for all the dumb Tarkus stuff that was going on. 
Um, I, so I, I guess I'll say this is probably my favorite episode of the season. You know, I the, the issue is, is like, it's not as if everything they've been building up to led me to this mind-blowing experience where I'm like, oh yeah, no matter my complaints, it was all worth it. You know, I, I like kind of uh, them trying to communicate or or connect as we're told constantly you know so them figuring things out i like it when you know star trek characters get to be smart and that was on showcase here rather than brute force their way out of situations which is kind of what tarka and and book have been doing which frustrates me but overall i i guess is my favorite episode of the season but this one should not have been your penultimate episode though this should have been you know your episode four of a or three of like a four or five episode arc like that that's that's my issue here yeah um i think i agree with you and that this was i don't know that i would say it was better than the premiere i think i was more excited by the premiere but this one um felt a little more committed to doing something that i enjoy in star trek which is that problem solving um trying to unravel a puzzle to make you know contact with an alien species here like that's something that's just interesting so even if this wasn't like the world's greatest example of it, I at least was invested in watching the characters figure this out. And I, I did enjoy that they took little character moments to check in with Saru and, you know, his, um, <laughs> um, I guess, uh, very um, shaky foundations of this relationship he has with the, the Vulcan leader. Like they found little ways to inject, you know, humanity, if you will, into this story. So that's a plus because I think this one ran the danger for me of, you know, when you watch an episode of TNG, and you'll have your central story, whatever it is, Picard trying to solve a diplomatic crisis or something. And then you'll have your B story of Geordi, Wesley, and maybe Barkley figuring out like a technical problem. And it's a lot of techno babble, but it's the B story. So we kind of check in with them. I was worried that this was going to feel like that just blown up through a whole episode of characters just giving techno babble. But I think they found enough ways around that to not make it frustrating or just overwhelming to an audience to listen to these characters bounce off each other. Yeah, but my issue, though, it's the whole book, Tarka, and General Nadoya storyline that's going on, which everything about that just frustrates me to no end. Uh, I thought Jet Reno, like, that is the injection of life that we needed in an episode like this, or, or I should say a, a B plot like this, in which... She's sitting there and observing, and Cam, I have to say, there is something weird with the directing in this one, in which I, I, they flash to, like, close-ups of Jet Reno's face at about every four to five seconds, which makes me think that maybe Jet, or maybe Tig Notaro isn't necessarily in Toronto filming with everybody. Like, maybe they're doing some sort of, like, split-screen stuff on the few, and there are very few instances in which you could see both Book and uh, Jet Reno on the screen at the same time. Otherwise, it was non-stop close-ups of Tignataro is just kind of weird but I like her just one of my favorite moments of this episode was when she just said to book like like Tark is gonna get you killed like this guy you know hurt people hurt people you know like he's in pain and it's like just wake up to this all and like to me that was great you know and um I, I was very confused as to why she just didn't get a bulk container of licorice rather than getting it uh, individually replicated but i, I, I didn't I don't know. get that either <laughs> <laughs> i was baffled as to why he handed her one piece of licorice <laughs> at a time <laughs> like... i was wondering is like wait does this character have like diabetes and just needs that one piece of licorice to like get back in the clear i was kind of confused about that but Sure, I'll go with it. Yeah, uh, something about black licorice acid. I I don't know. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. But um, 
I don't know. I, 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 that whole, like we said a couple of weeks ago, our our big fear is that Tarka was the most dynamic new character that they've introduced uh, to the series in a long time, and our concern was like by the end of it, he's just going to turn into kind of this unreasonable antagonist who's pursuing his own goals no matter how much it's going to go against the logic of everything and what really angered me though is you have the discovery crew being really smart about things you know uh, working through communications diplomacy uh, going onto this replica bridge using light bulbs to communicate which i i thought was interesting and all of those efforts in, in what you put your brain power to things would that would be enough to be kind of the climax of a regular season of star trek it's now going to be foiled by, you know, books, decisions to, uh, you know, to team up with Tarka, and, and now it's it's all uh, coming home to roost, and Tarka's going to mess this up somehow, like, and that's what the tension's going to be built on in the finale, and that's just going to irritate me because it seems like it's an external force that they're inserting just to create this kind of artificial conflict that it doesn't interest me at all like that that's that's why uh, i don't know that, that stuff was just making me cringe during this episode well it's like they don't have the confidence to go the like contact route and i'm referring to the 1997 movie with jodie foster where it's like you're just building to the sequence of her making contact and learning something it's like they can't do that they're not willing to commit to that they need this antagonist to do something that's deadly and dangerous and going to result in probably an explosion or two yeah. um when i don't know like star trek isn't really founded on that it's not something that happens that often i mean i guess in the movies more so but uh it feels somewhat unnecessary this season especially like you have this episode that's evoking a lot of science fiction that doesn't go that way because you know i when i saw that watery tentacle i immediately thought of the abyss <laughs> yeah. um and then the whole like flashing the lights is very close encounters of the third kind and also when they go inside that little transport ship and it's a replica of the bridge, I was reminded of the movie 2001 where the aliens put the astronaut in the replica of a hotel to feel more comfortable. Like, it's looking back at, you know, evoking sort of these sci-fi stories that don't depend on an antagonist who starts out smart but by the end is just kind of dumb. And it, those stories don't, re you know, require that. Like, Tarka's going to be dead by the end of the season, right? Oh, yeah. Tarka is going to get blown up in some way. It's going to be one of those, like, uh, Ruafu kind of deaths or something. Yeah, which is disappointing because I understand his motivation. He wants to, you know, return to this universe with his, uh, or um, find his friend in this other universe. And I, I, it's weird how they keep calling him, like, a friend when it's clear that they're kind of lovers or, you know, or, or maybe there's definitely something sensual like uh, and intimate about their relationship there where, you know, like, I understand his motivation, and maybe there's a workaround. Or I, What would be interesting to me if Species 10C figures out what Tarka is up to and says, you know what, we have the power to send you. That's going to be our offering to you. You know, uh, our way, you know, we can't make amends to what happened to planet Qui-Gon Jinn, but, you know, that, that to me would be far more interesting than what I think is going to happen in the finale is which there's going to be explosions and we're going to have to wonder, oh no, will the crew make it out alive? Will the ship get destroyed? Boom, boom, boom. Rocks falling from the roof again. And guess what? Things will work out and we'll end up back at Starfleet headquarters where Tilly will be able to greet them all as a new instructor at Starfleet Academy. And I'm like, I kind of, <laughs> I think I've outlined what the beats of the finale are going to be like, and I, I, I hope the show surprises me. This episode surprised me, you know, um, I, I thought like they're doing something different here. 
but it, it there's no reason it should have taken 12 episodes to get to the point that we're at right now. It's just it, it's just dragged out way too long. And it's making me think of like what I'm liking about season two of Picard in which, look, the plot, okay, we said it was a plot heavy episode for episode two, but guess what? The, the plot is going. You know, like, uh, if you look at season one of Picard, it, it is three episodes of them hanging around on Earth. There's one episode of them, you know, hanging around with Elnor. One episode of watching Seven of Nine become, like, a serial killer. It wasn't until, like, six episodes in that the plot actually started going, you know. And, like, um, it, you know, your mileage will vary about how much you like watching people get in their sock feet and um, slide around on Borg cubes. But that wasn't really working for me. And... I don't know. I, I I think this is like the the toughest sit I've ever had with Star Trek Discovery because uh, as much as I care for a story more than plot, this has just been so so thin on plot all throughout. Yeah, it's it's a long drive to the fireworks factory this season. <laughs> you know, to quote a famous uh, Simpsons scenario, um, it's it's frustrating because I think you and I are. Um, sort of we're frustrated but at the same time when we have an episode like this we're kind of interested in watching the first contact we want to see what species 10c can be but like i was talking to my sister about it and it's just like to people that are like newer to trek you drag them out for this long um just giving them almost nothing and then you have an episode like this where you spend an hour and the reveal is like species 10c is well all they're seeing is like lights in a cloud basically it would be very frustrating if I was a new Star Trek viewer. Yeah, I know. And I just... I It, it makes me wonder about where we're ultimately going with the series into season five. And that's... It's obvious, like, every season... It's not like there's been this master, you know, seven-season story plan for this. And, and like, I, I don't need them to have some sort of, like, uh, writer's Bible in which they've planned out every single story arc. But with um, some of the other serialized shows that are like the top notch they kind of know broad strokes where they want to bring the characters through the journeys that they want to have them go through uh you know over the course of a few seasons and you can kind of tell like with discovery they figure out where the final episode should end and then they kind of reverse engineer everything uh to make it fit and i think that started in season two so season five it's not as if i think that there's the series has been building up to this one big moment in which we'll have like this amazing finale. Cause I'm pretty certain season five is going to be the last one just based on kind of the economics of how the television industry works nowadays in this uh, era of streaming and watch as production gets more expensive as, you know, bonuses kick in for actors and writers, you have to pay them more. And at the same time, viewership diminishes, you know, and I'm just saying that that happens with every single series out there. I guarantee you, Way more people watched episode one of Discovery than watched uh, episode, you know, 50 of Discovery. So I I don't know. I, I'm just, I, I'm very antsy about the fact that the show just, it, it, it doesn't seem to have a, a direction to it that the way maybe Picard at least has like a lot of forward momentum going into season two at this moment. Yeah. Well, it feels like more of a muddled season and... I don't know that, like, Picard... I'm trying to think of what I call season one Picard muddled. I would say it has, like, elements that are um, underbaked or confused, but I wouldn't say, like, in an episode-to-episode um, story it feels muddled. Whereas when, like, Discovery, if you ask me what happened in a given episode, you're going to get a blank stare from me. 
because it all just feels like kind of a mess. Whereas like I can kind of delineate between a various Picard episodes. Um, but uh, I was going to say like, I, I do think though um, that there is a chance we are going to have a Tarka happy ending here. I don't think the show's been going out of its way to make him sympathetic to the audience. And so I do think he may have a happier fate than Osira waiting for him at the end. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> when we watched, uh, you know, uh, Saru take the lessons of Tarka for, you know, uh, primal scream therapy with Burnham, uh, j- just for listeners that may not have known this, um, Burnham and Saru was pretty much you and me, uh, our reaction hmm. to the previous episode, Rosetta, you know, just screaming, screaming, screaming about how bad that was. That was awful. That yeah. was really awful. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the Cleveland Booker name um, being revealed as uh, a title that is passed down person to person? Uh, it's stupid. Like, it's kind of like, th- this is like <laughs> the big mystery of two seasons is, and look, actually, let me say this. I always thought whatever the explanation was going to be, uh, whatever it was, it was going to be a stupid explanation. I think this is the least stupid explanation that we could have gotten, you know, and the fact that it is kind of a title and you get the clients and all that. And I'm like, okay, sure. Because it is kind of weird. Like um, if you're a, an adult and you're like, I'm going to take the name of my mentor. Like Cam, what if you started calling yourself Tyler Orton, you know, one of these days? Like that, that'd be, <laughs> you know, that, that'd be a little weird, right? Right? You know, me being your mentor and uh, being such a big influence on your life. But um, it's it's kind of the whole like Ray Palpatine versus Ray Skywalker thing. It's like th- this is a 25 year old woman. Why does she need to take on an adopted name? You know, and so I I can accept him. <laughs> it's not the name he cares about. It's the client list, really. Do you think all these clients are so dumb that they don't recognize that? Um, oh, it's got the same <laughs> name, but uh, don't don't know that's a totally different uh, person I'm talking to. It's very strange. I would like to know the origins of Cleveland Booker, though, because that name is very specific. Well, I I guess the first courier had to have been a human. I, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. So. Do you think he's from Cleveland? Um. Yeah, kind of like if somebody, if their first name is Holland, their nickname is often Dutch, you know, it's like kind of one of those, those scenarios, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Is Holland Taylor uh, Dutch? Uh, no, but like her nickname could be oh. Dutch, right? Sure. Sure. As in, uh, sorry, like as in people would call her, hey, Dutch, like as a nickname, like um, that. that's people, right. Yeah. So that, that's kind of what I was getting at there. Um, I get you. I get you. Yeah, uh, I, I do like like this Doctor Hurai. I kind of hope he comes back in season five because he actually has like distinct characteristics. This man will not not stop eating like nuts and berries like every single scene. I'm just like I am all for it. Give that man a charcuterie board and let him go at it. Like thank you. Like give us distinct characters. The thing that's bugged me about Tarka is like the things that kind of made him distinct like earlier on. They've kind of been waning um, as he kind of does that inevitable antagonist descent into madness. And um, if you're giving me somebody like Dr. Hry kind of taking over for now the uh, the Dr. Kovich role, I, I'm down for that. I, I like the actor. It's turned out pretty cool so far. I am confused about Hry though, because it's like they've now established him to be a fairly important character. But it's like they never put in the effort of a proper introduction to this character. Like, he feels like someone who wandered in as sort of a you know, a uh, featured extra and has somehow wandered his way into a power position on the show. And I'm like, wait, how did that happen? <laughs> he'll, he'll get an entire short trek devoted to him in the, uh, the the season long break, right? I would watch that. Um, I was going to say that you're saying they've watered down Tarka and I agree, but he had like one little moment that I did appreciate where Book kind of spoke back to him and he does this like this, just this silent like... <laughs> 
<laughs> like kind of like whoa like can't believe he spoke to me that way moment i thought the actor really pulled that off quite nicely yeah the other thing that i was just like huh was when Tark was like i've only ever had two friends in my life one of them was you book and I'm like, were, were they actually friends? They've been like kind of on the run as they have mutual interests. So they've been partnered up for, I would estimate it's been um, a week, maybe, maybe eight days max, you know, between the casino planet going past the galactic barrier. And because remember that there's like kind of a ticking time bomb with the DMA running for uh, Navai, uh or Navarre and Earth. So they haven't like, we've spent a bunch of episodes with them about like four or five episodes together partnered up but i don't think that many days i don't know it's just kind of a it's one of those moments i, I complain about discovery where it's like it doesn't feel earned you know which you have the entire crew telling each other all the time i love you i love you and it's like eh, okay like um show don't tell please i just kind of took that a little bit as tarka doesn't connect with anyone so the fact he'd at least spent like eight days um sharing a similar mindset with book that was enough to make him number two okay um I, again i keep going back to culber and like um he actually seems to have a story arc going on this season unlike most of the other characters i i you know book uh, from the main cast i should say book book and burnham do but i'm not particularly interested but it just made me kind of roll my eyes when stamets started blaming himself for not realizing that uh jet was gone even though he usually doesn't get along with her, so he's probably relieved for the the uh, 45 minutes or so. But then, you know, Culber shouts at Stamets, don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. I'm just like, okay, like how much affirmation does this crew like need day to day? It just like it, it kind of like I, I, I know this is targeted at certain audience members, but it's I don't think it's necessarily the vast majority of humanity that relates to this constant desperate need for reaffirmation. No, it's it's really weird. I, I just genuinely don't get why the show is hammering you over the head with it so much. It's like, I feel like it's gotten to the point where it just grates on people. Like a lot of people that are really just turned off a of discovery, that's what it is. They can really pinpoint it to that. So um, it's weird. I, I don't know what they're doing with that. Um, also, I just wanted to add this Zora thing better pay off in this finale in some way because I can't take this anymore. Cam, I think we're going to have a whole season five of Cadet Zora. Uh, it's going to be the same stuff. I, I, I think that's where we're going. I just made a note. This computer seems like it would be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I don't know, man. Like, uh, this is not my favorite storyline that they've introduced, but it's, it's been building since season two with the whole sphere data that they collected in uh, Obel for Charon. I, and look, with, with the whole... Um, uh, short trek that we got so why am i blanking on the best short trek ever cam calypso calypso i think that they ultimately are that zora is going to be an integral part into however this series eventually concludes well i look forward to more songs cam, I, I can serenade you uh at, at the end of all of this don't <laughs> don't worry cue up the funny face yeah <laughs> uh okay so going into the finale um next week i don't think that the finale can do anything to fix the problems plaguing a rather um uninspired dull and deflated season but i also don't think that the finale can be uh a, a train wreck like i think they have the potential to just kind of like stick the landing um tell a contained story 
get the characters back to you know starfleet headquarters uh make sure that earth and navarre are saved we we know what's gonna happen you know uh, burnham's gonna break all the rules and she'll succeed so i don't know i i, I if they do that i'll be fine it, it's it, if they're gonna do something really irritating that's when uh the show's well i mean i think the show kind of lost me um this season but i don't know what are your thoughts about the potential for the finale I would just say resolve, you know, the story in a way that's not embarrassing, a la, you know, Picard season one with space tentacles and soccer balls. Don't need that. <laughs> uh, you can't salvage it, but you can end it in a way where I go, well, that was a fitting ending to this season. I can walk away and say I didn't like the season, but it told a story. I understand essentially what the story was beginning, middle to end. So that's kind of all I hope for at this point. And also, I will be interested to see how they end it because, you know, we had the uh, Enterprise showing up at the end of season one. Season two was them going off into the future. Season three was, you know, more low key. It was them just in the new uniforms. I'm just really curious what the final beat of the season is to kind of get people a, at least a little bit jazzed for the next one. Um, well, do you want to get us jazzed uh, in the season finale of uh, uh, the previous season? It's the, the prospect of having Starbase Gelato. You know, like that, that was the final moment there. I'm just kind of like... That's true, that's true. Yeah, maybe more gelato flavors. Maybe that's what they're going to do, perhaps. Gelato and bring back the gray uniforms. Um, <laughs> but before we wrap up, let's just touch on the uh, Strange New Worlds teaser, which yeah. dropped this week. Um, you know, it's more of a tone piece. It's I was um, talking about it with someone else where it's like, it can come across as disappointing maybe after the teasers for like Picard where, you know, you get a reveal of Q or something or data. And that's just not the case with Strange New Worlds. It doesn't really have those sorts of, you know, fan service surprises to offer. But I did get to see Tango the horse and that went a long way. Maybe it's not Tango. Maybe uh, Tango is glue right now and it has... Uh... Don't ruin this. Don't <laughs> you cash. ruin this for me. It's it's Cash the horse. <laughs> That'd I know that's a reach. That's what the reference. Yeah, <laughs> it um, works. It works. Okay, this. Uh, I'll be honest. This teaser really didn't get me pumped. It, I, I didn't find it exciting. I, I found it to be very uh, self-important and pretentious. And uh, there's some images that seemed cool. Um, that doesn't mean I, I'm not looking forward to the show. I think that uh, there's a very different job you have to do when it comes to marketing versus what you have to do to make a good episode of television. Uh, different folks are handling that. So I just wish. I felt more energized by this teaser, and the show's premiering fairly soon, so I'd expect a uh, a full trailer, I don't know what, like maybe three or four weeks, you know, and I don't know, we'll, we'll go from there, but um, I don't know, it, it, it's still my most antip anticipated show of uh, Star Trek in 2022. Uh who knows how many uh, mid-season finales we're going to get with Star Trek Prodigy uh, moving ahead uh, this year. But uh, I I'm pumped for Strange New Worlds, followed by Lower Decks, and then followed by Prodigy whenever that returns once again. Yeah. Uh, this teaser to me had a little bit of an insecurity about it where, look, we had the setup for Strange New Worlds at the end of Discovery Season 2. It's like, look, this is just, you know, Pike and the crew going out and going on missions. But it's like, no, no, this is a huge series. We need to establish that, you know, the Pike we see in this teaser at the start, like, this is a tormented man, it seems, or at least a man with some sort of baggage needs to overcome that and get back on the Enterprise. But it's like, you didn't really need that. 
you could just have him continuing on from where we were at the end of season two discovery. Like yeah. you don't really need, you know, grizzled Pike on a horse. Um, we're already up in space this far. He misses Burnham way too much. That That's the problem. Yeah. It's like we had like Pike kind of bottoming, bottoming out and getting frustrated in the cage. We don't really need to go back to that, but honestly, again, I just looked at this as more of a tone piece of like, okay, we're going back to the enterprise. We're going to see Pike back on the ship. I'm sold. Can't wait. Show me a trailer. Give me the series. Let's go. I will say this. like He has an interesting internal conflict as his conceit as a character and that he knows how he's going to be like disfigured, you know, in, I'd say probably what, like six, seven years time. Um, yeah. That's something you have to carry with you. And does that influence the decisions that you're going to make? Uh, will you hesitate to do some things? Uh, will you act too quickly in other circumstances? Like, yeah. It's kind of interesting, you know, like, so I, I dig in. We ultimately know what Pike's fate is going to be. It's going back to Talos and, you know, pretending in his own imagination, he gets to skip around and uh, have a joyful existence, even though it's going to be a very different reality for him. And, and I don't know, you've got a fascinating kind of hook for this character, which I, I think uh, any show could really use other than. Um, I must carry the burdens of everybody on my shoulders at all times, which I, I, that doesn't make me as interested in Michael Burnham as I think the writers think uh, it it should. No, no. If I were Pike, I would just work maybe another five years at Starfleet and retire and then be like, ha <laughs> got you there. What are you going to do now? <laughs> I beat the fates. <laughs> okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Next week, we'll be back with episode three of Picard season two and the finale of Discovery season four. Hopefully it's big. We'll see. Also, I'd encourage everybody, go jump in your podcatchers. Give us five stars. And if you like us even more, even more, go and give us a review because these episode reviews, as well as these star ratings, they help more people find the show. And uh, it's a free show. This is all we ask that you guys do. So that's very much appreciated. Also, you can go to facebook.com slash subspace pod. We have all of our updates there. Uh, I've been posting kind of uh, some of our videos as well, Cam, that are related to stuff going on week to week. So uh, keep updated on that if you go to to Facebook as well. Awesome. And you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in video game cat Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as Nadoya. She likes causing trouble for a diplomat. (laughs) Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.